0: Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyam, CEO of Indeed. And welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is October 6th, where I am in the US, and October 7th for today's guest. Uh, we are on day 217 of working from home in either time zone. Uh, you know, If you've tuned in before to this podcast, you likely know by now that inclusion and belonging is one of our five core values at Indeed. And October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month in the US. And so it's Accessibility Month for us at Indeed. And we are recognizing the work of our Access Indeed Inclusion Group, which we'll be learning more about today. And I am delighted to be joined by Aaron Waddell, Recruitment Evangelist in our Sydney, Australia office and Regional Co-Chair for Access Indeed. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. And um, just before we kick off, there is a tradition we do in Australia here before we start most of our meetings, Um, and I just wanted to do that really quickly. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we work today and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people participating in this meeting and webinar. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognize and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.
0: That's beautiful, thank you. Um, Before we dive in, can you just explain a little bit about the importance of that greeting?
1: Yeah, so um, as you know, Australia was first inhabited by the Aboriginal people of this country, and it's just um, a small acknowledgement to make sure that we acknowledge that we're sitting on their land um, right now, wherever, wherever we are in Australia, uh, this can be done in other countries as well where there are First Nations or Indigenous people, too. Um, but it's something that I, I think always kind of surprises people when they hear it for the first time. But I think it's a wonderful thing to acknowledge.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So let's uh, start off where we always start these discussions off with, um, which is just a check in. How are How are you doing today?
1: Today, I'm, I'm good. I'm a little nervous, I have to say. Um, you know, this is the first time I'm doing a webinar interview with you where it's going to be seen by a lot of people. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of nervousness that comes with it. But I'm also really excited to have this opportunity to talk about something I'm very passionate about. So I'm nervous and excited. And I think those two together are hopefully going to help. it be great.
0: <laughs> That's great. It's It's going to be a fantastic conversation. I'm really excited to be here with you today. So let's start off uh, and just back up, give some folks a little bit of background. You started your career, so you're a recruitment evangelist at Indeed. We'll talk a little bit about that. But before, you started your career as a mechanical engineer back in the U.S. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I was. I was a mechanical engineer for nine years. I became an engineer because I loved how things work. I was always fascinated by technology uh, and I loved to know how things work and how you know, if you take something, you take it apart to see what was going on under the hood. Um, and so I went into engineering um, when I was straight out of college. And that's what, I, that's what I did in my, I call it my previous life, but I honestly think once you're an engineer, you're always an engineer. So, so that my previous career was mechanical engineering, yeah. And I worked in, um, I started off in automotive at Nissan, which I know uh, Australians say Nissan. Or, and I think it's, they say something else in the UK. But I say Nissan because that's how my Japanese coworkers pronounced it. And uh, when I left uni, sorry, college, um, I went to L.A. and I worked at Boeing on satellites. And so for me, it was really shift in, a really interesting shift in industry because I went from a product that I could touch and sit in and test myself to something where you don't actually know if it's working until it gets up in space and you test it from the ground. And that was hard. It was hard to go from a tactical role to a non-tactical role in the engineering field. And then from there, I moved over to another part of aerospace. I went over to the rocket engine side of things. (laughs) So I worked for a company that I don't think exists anymore. If it has, it was bought out a few times. Called Rocketdyne, and they made the main uh, the main engines for the space shuttle. And that's what I worked on, along with some clean energy initiatives back then. And so that's that's really where I started and I did that until about 2011 when I moved here. So I I did have a pretty decently good career as a mechanical engineer and and yeah, I and then I switched. I I I identified that something was missing in my in my in my day-to-day life. You know, you spend a third of your life at work. And if there's something that's not making you happy in that third of your life, you know, you you can either keep going and hope something changes or just be miserable or make a change. And what I identified was missing in my day-to-day role was people. Um, I love people. I have a big personality. I wanted to work with more people instead of machines. And that's when I sort of put my plan into motion to get a master's of business. uh, And I ended up going into marketing so that I could start to work on the more human side of things instead of the mechanical side of things. I decided that if I was going to do my MBA, would be fun to do it abroad. I had come here uh, as on a vacation back in 2009. I'm a scuba diver. So I wanted to come and dive the Great Barrier Reef. Like most people that visit Australia for the first time want to go and check that area out. And when I came here, I really fell in love with the country. I was here for like a month. I had never backpacked before. So it was kind of like my, my first and only backpacking experience. And I really fell in love with it. And when I was looking at places to do my MBA, I noticed that there was a a university here in Sydney that had kind of what I was looking for at the price point I was able to afford. And and then I did it. I took it was a big leap to step uh, out of your career and move to a foreign country at the same time. But I did that in 2011. And, um, and that's how I came to Australia. And that's how I'm still here after nine years.
0: So so you finished the MBA. You later ended up at Indeed and you are a recruitment evangelist. For those people who don't know what that means, what do you yeah.
1: do? <laughs> a recruitment evangelist? Yeah, that's what, I have to explain this a lot because evangelist is everyone has a different idea of what it is, but essentially a recruitment evangelist uses insights and data to work with our clients, to help them either understand their performance on Indeed and to optimize it better, or to understand Indeed in general and to further their partnership along with us so that they can understand how they can get the most out of that partnership. So what that means is I talk to people, uh, our clients um, run workshops um, most days. So it it couldn't be more different in terms of the people side of things than I was when I was an engineer, but I have been able to take the data and um, analytics side with me. So it's kind of the best of both worlds for me.
0: One of the things that we're here to talk about today is Access Indeed, which is an inclusion resource group. You are the regional co-chair. Can you talk a little bit about how you were involved in in helping set up that inclusion resource group and and what the purpose is for for those folks that don't know what an inclusion resource group is or what Access Indeed is all about?
1: Sure. Well, we can start with the inclusion resource group. Um, An inclusion resource group is a group um, that essentially ensures that no one is excluded from being included or um, belonging at the company. And so an inclusion resource group can be for any type of underrepresented group uh, at a company. So at Indeed, we have inclusion resource groups for, um, let's see, we have iPride for the LGBTQI community. We have the parents and caregivers, um, IRG. We have an inclusion resource group for women at Indeed, or women in STEM careers. And then we have Access Indeed, which is the visible and invisible disabilities inclusion resource group. So that's what Access Indeed is. And essentially it was was brought to my attention in 2017 by Laura Brady, who uh, works with us in our Austin office on the diversity inclusion and belonging team. And she was looking to start this inclusion resource group up and was looking for someone That was interested in in kicking it off and getting it started, and at that time we actually did not have any inclusion resource groups in Sydney where I sit, Um, and so I put my hand up, and I said I would be very interested in learning more about this and potentially getting it going because um, I uh, was the only person when I joined Indeed that had an external physical disability that you can see, and um, I thought it would be a great thing to start up to be able to make sure that if anyone else joined the company that they would feel like there was a place for them to feel like they belonged or if there was anybody that had questions and so um, then I realized really quickly that wasn't that was a very small small view of what I of what an IRG is because it's not just for someone that either is a part of these groups but it's equally as important to have people that want to be an ally of these groups and so it then became more of a, okay, so maybe what we can really use this for is, is education and understanding and some, and some knowledge sharing. So we encouraged anyone to join that just wanted to know more about disabilities, or maybe they had one or had someone in their life that they knew that had a disability and they just wanted a place where they could share or learn more. Um, and so that's really how it started back in 2017.
0: You identify as having both a visible and visible uh, invisible disability. Can you talk a little bit about that and help, help the people watching to understand what you're talking about?
1: I love to help the people. So, yes, I can. I have a visible disability in the form of um, what's called a below elbow congenital defect, which means I was born without the lower half of my left arm right below the elbow. Um, they don't know why that happened. They think it was something potentially in the environment. Um, it's not genetic, but I was born like that. And I actually have been, uh, wearing a prosthetic arm, which you can see in the camera now, um, since I was about six months old, this is actually what's called a myoelectric, um, prosthetic arm, which means it's externally powered. And what that means is that I can open and close it and it's not internally invasively connected to my body. Um, but it's actually controlled with muscle control. And so that is the visible disability that I have, that I've always had. And my invisible disability is that I have anxiety, which I have been dealing with into the lead up of this conversation. And um, that's a common, I think that's something that a lot of people can identify with is knowing how to manage um, something like anxiety, which kind of falls on the mental health spectrum of invisible disabilities. And there's different things that work for everyone, but uh, it's, been a really interesting journey for me with both of the disabilities, um, visible and invisible, both having them and learning more about other ones. I think that's where I've really um, seen growth in myself since the group started as well.
0: You've talked, and, and when we were leading up to this and having some conversations, you talked about the, the prosthetic itself and, and how yeah. you integrated that um, into your life. Can you talk a little bit about the, the role that devices play in accessibility?
1: Yes, for sure. There's a couple of things. And the thing is, I was born in Detroit. And at that time, it was the early 80s. Um, there was a children's hospital that was just getting this new technology over from I think it was Sweden back then. And there was a fantastic prosthetist in Carl Brenner, who my parents were Referred to uh, at this children's hospital in Detroit, and basically what they wanted to do was was sort of test and pro- try to prove the point that you can fit infants with prosthetics. So this is the reason that I have one, and so I was kind of used as the test subject of if you if we give an infant a prosthetic, will she accept it or reject it? And it can go either way. Um, and so the reason, the other reason that that. If we take it back a notch, the reason that that research institute is there, and there's one there and there's one in Chicago, and those at that time were the two, I think two, of, there was three in the country, the other one was in California, and those, are the two, those were the two leading research institutes in the U.S. And the reason for that is because for some reason, and they still don't know why, there is a higher instance of a, the disability that I have in the region of, the, of that region of the Midwest than there is anywhere else in the country. And so had I been born somewhere else, maybe I wouldn't have this disability. Or had I been born with this disability somewhere else, I probably wouldn't have been offered the opportunity for a prosthetic. And so that's why I have one. But the point I, I would really like to discuss is that if you, if someone that you know, or if someone is born with uh, the same disability as myself, if they're missing a limb or if they have some sort of limb difference, which could be a deformity or anything, a prosthetic, uh, It can work for some people. It it, it might not work for other people. And it's really a testament to the, of how well humans can adapt to whatever they're used to. If, If I had grown up without a prosthetic arm and I had just never had one, I probably would have just as happy and of quality of life as I do now. It's just however you adapt to your surrounding. And so that's why I have a prosthetic arm, which I think is kind of interesting. It's just a complete product of, where I was at the time that I was born and what the what the availability was. and um, But I think there's a lot of people that probably see people that don't have a prosthetic. And I think the message there is that if they don't have a prosthetic, they're probably doing just fine.
0: <laughs> I, I wanna talk about uh, October's National Disability Employment Awareness Month, but actually before we dive into that, I wanna go into one of the things that we talked about, the, the definition of a disability. So, I mean, you've already mentioned a, invisible versus visible, and and there's a a number of different things. Could you just talk about what what we think of as a disability?
1: Yeah, I totally can. And I think what I'm going to do is use the definition that I've seen here in Australia from the Australian Network on Disability. I think it's a really great full encompassing one. And basically what they say is that a disability is any condition that restricts a person's mental, sensory or mobility function. It may be caused by accident, trauma genetics uh, disease it can be temporary or permanent total or partial lifelong or acquired visible or invisible so i think that kind of gets everything in there and i think that's a really important thing to understand is that anybody can become disabled at at any time that can happen Um, but also a lot of people probably have experienced some level of disability Whether that's when, if you've broken a, if you've broken an arm and you can't write anymore with that hand, if you've broken a leg and you can't walk for a little bit of time, any, you know, there's things that, um, that a lot of people have experienced that they've probably had a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a temporary disability for a little bit of time. But I think that that's a really great way of, um, explaining what a disability is.
0: With that in mind, then um, we recognize in the U.S. National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Can you talk a little about that and, like, what are some of the things that that we're doing? at indeed uh, to to recognize this.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important um, that there's Disability Employment Awareness Month in general because there is a huge untapped resource of disabled workers. I think globally, it's not just in the U.S. or or here or in Japan. It's it's globally, and I think it's important to recognize what it looks like for disabled employees in a workplace um, and to bring their viewpoints to the table. And we can, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I think for in, in the US for this month, you know, the access groups there have, have been putting on a lot of great events uh, in terms of, you know, deaf awareness training or things that are going to help our employees, our, our fellow Indeedians understand a little bit better what the what employees uh, with disabilities go through on a day-to-day basis and really how they can support them how they can support them as a disabled individual and i think that's that's something that's been really great we've they've worked very hard to ensure that it's it's not just focused on physical disabilities or invisible disabilities because i think that's something that is also really important as far as disability awareness is that it is a very large scale it can affect anyone of any race, gender, um, anything. And so it's it's really one of those things where there's a lot to the story and it's just making sure that you're trying to tell as much as you can and make sure that people are getting the best view of the scope of, of disabilities. And I think the access groups have been doing a fantastic job of coming up with ways, ways to do that where it's not just... Um, it's not just about education, but it's also about participation and, and sometimes fun. And so that's what, that's what Access is aiming to do during this, this Awareness Month.
0: Just to put some of the scope in perspective, can you talk a little bit about the numbers when we talk about uh, disability in general and the diversity within it? How, how many people are we talking about?
1: It is. It's a, it's a larger number than I think I expected. Globally, it's about a billion people. Uh, that live with some form of disability. That's 15% of the global population, which is large. That's a lot of people. When you break that down and you kind of look at it on a per country basis, obviously it varies. It varies on, I'm sure there's a multitude of things, but I took a look at some of our markets. In, in Australia it's and, and the, uh, the US, it's actually one in four people have a form of disability. So that's at 25%. It's 19% in the UK, it's 13.5% in Ireland. Um, these are not insignificant numbers when it comes to the amount of people of working age that have disabilities. That's a pretty high amount. And the the other thing that is important to is important to talk about is um, that it's that's right now. This number can change because as we said before, someone can become disabled. Somebody can acquire disability as well. And so that number I expect um, will not be the same next year or the year after. I think it's probably going to change as time goes on. And so it's something that I think when you first become aware of, of just how many people are living with a disability, it's, it's kind of staggering when you think about if, if, if the thought, if you know, the first thought of, on people's minds is, oh well, somebody with a disability is somebody that's in a wheelchair or is blind or deaf or missing a limb. There's so much more depth to it. And that's where you start to see those numbers come in.
0: So so given that, then it's pretty clear that most people will either at some point in their lives experience or have someone very close to them experience a, a, a permanent or a temporary uh, disability in their lives. So how how should people think about that? How how does that shape our thinking?
1: I think that's something that if if we think about how we experience life. No one experiences life the same way. And so if we think about the fact that, okay, most people will experience disability at some point in our life, it it comes down to, you know, is it going to be, is your first experience with disability going to be you or is it going to be a loved one or a friend where you might have to support? Um, Is it going to be one of your um, coworkers? I think it, it comes down to how are we going to go forward into the future to make sure that... Our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, um, our families are not left behind because of a a disability or um, a condition that they have. And so that really comes back to inclusion and making sure that people with disabilities have a voice uh, at the table, uh, a voice and a seat at the table, and that their perspectives are taken into consideration when it comes to almost all facets, facets of life in terms of um, getting around. If you live in a city where there's trains, can they actually access the train platforms? Um, products. is somebody If somebody is missing or if they're blind, or missing a limb or if they're blind or there's some other disability there, are they going to be able to use a physical product like an, uh, an Apple Watch? Um, is someone going to be able to use a website with a screen reader? It's things like that. Um, and then if you look at the invisible side of things, You know, if there's someone that's on the autism spectrum, are they going to feel comfortable walking into an office? Are they going to feel supported going to school um, with their friends in the way that it's currently set up? And I think the thing that really stands out to me is that it shouldn't be people with a disability. and, And this is what it has always been trying to fit into the world around them. It should be a collaborative effort to make sure that they are included in in the environment that they thrive in. So that everyone can participate and be, them, be their authentic selves without having to worry about what might happen next.
0: Obviously, as a, as a business, one of the things that we think about when we're thinking about as inclusion um, is trying to understand what are some of the issues that people face with a disability in the workplace in particular. So what, what are some of the key things that we should be thinking about being aware of?
1: There's a a couple of things here, and I'm so glad you asked that question because it's a great question. Um, And so the first thing we can start with in a business is, I think, the assumptions. I think that there are a lot of people that either see that someone has a disability or they hear that someone has a disability and they assume this, that, and the other. Oh, well, you probably can't do that because you have a disability. Or, oh, you know what, we won't won't, um, invite you to this because you know, you're, prob- you're probably not going to be able to do it. Um, but the reality is that pretty much anyone with a disability doesn't want to feel like a burden. They don't want to feel like a burden. They really don't want to be treated differently, which kind of brings you into the microaggression side of things. And what that can look like, and this has happened to me, um, is when people say, oh, you have a prosthetic arm, so you can live a normal life. And I'm like, well, I mean... What is a normal life? We all live our own version of that, and I think people's versions of normal lives is just like them, right? Like if I'm not missing a limb, then you can live like me. Which the reality is, even if I didn't have a prosthetic arm, I could do the same thing. But then the other thing is that it's it's unconscious bias in terms of if someone is going for a job, uh, they the hiring you know is the hiring manager going to have an unconscious bias towards them if they have an, uh, a disability of some kind and I remember when I had joined Boeing um, back. It was my very, it was my first job, uh, my first full time job as an engineer. And and someone came up to me at an event and said to me, I was brand new. I was really excited to be there. And someone said to me, "Oh, you're a woman and you're disabled. Well, you got hired because you ticked their diversity box." And like nobody really wants to hear that, but it gave me this complex of, "Is that why I got this job? Is that the reason I got this job?" And I mean, I carried that with me for years because of that tiny little comment, which might've been a joke, I'm not sure, but it did put the seed in my head in terms of, did I get hired for that job because of this? And um, that comes back to the the assumptions of on the other side of, you know, am I being treated like this because they think this? And so um, there's a lot of things in the workplace that need to be considered in terms of making sure that disabled people are included.
0: So that obviously... In the business that Indeed is in, which is helping people get jobs, this is an area that can be particularly thorny. Um, there's a big question often about disclosing a disability in an interview. And it's something that, that's talked about. And we, that was actually one of my first interactions with Access Indeed, was asking a question about a, a good friend who had uh, a nephew who was struggling with whether or not to disclose his disability as part of the interview process. So what are some of the perspectives, pr- perspectives on that and, and how should employers think about that?
1: So that's, that's a great question. I think, I think I I can speak from my own experience first. And that is that as soon as after that interaction I had with that person at Boeing, I never disclosed mine going forward because I had a thing in my head where if I ticked that, yes, I have a disability box and I did get hired, I would always think that was the reason why. So I didn't disclose until I would get to the interview. um, Because with my, the, really the only so if a disabled person needs what's called an accommodation or they need something to help them do their job it's, we call it an accommodation for me uh the only thing i need is a keyboard like this that is has really flush keys because i type with one hand and i have to have it offset to the right a little bit but if it has really deep set keys my fingers can get stuck when i'm typing and so when it came to the interview i i remember trying to remember because I've been with dude for a while, I, I would bring it up in a way of, you know, I was born without my arm. However, uh, the only thing I really, the only thing that I do that's different is type with one hand. And actually, I don't think I made an accommodation request until like, I was hired at that point. That being said, um, it is a personal choice for everyone. It's a personal choice um, whether they want to disclose at the beginning in the interview uh, or not. I, I'm of the belief that people with disabilities should really own it and really be be proud of it. And I don't think there's any shame in disclosing a disability. However, if there is any anxiety around what the receiving end might react with, then it becomes a little tricky. And so with if the message to the if if an employers are listening, then the thing I would love to say is, you know, have if the recruitment team or the hiring managers um, if there's any training, maybe sensitivity training that they could do, unconscious bias training that they could do, that's, that's really going to help both sides of the equation make sure that that's a comfortable experience for everyone. Because Chris, if we go back to your friend who uh, had that question, it was a it was one of those things where if you're uncomfortable disclosing and then you do and the person that you tell is uncomfortable hearing it, it's probably not going to be a great experience for for either party. And so I think if we bring it back as well, employers should never assume that a person with a disability is not going to be able to to do their job. If they weren't going to be able to do their job, they probably wouldn't apply. And so I think to try to remove as much unconscious bias as possible, and I know that's hard because we all have it, we all do it, it's just part of human nature. Um, But I would say to bring it back to don't assume, and still treat that disabled employee just like anybody else that was walking through that door.
0: So you mentioned before uh, this idea of, of microaggressions. And so obviously there, there are much larger and sort of gross forms of, of uh, you know, bias that, that people experience, but sometimes it's the, the death of, you know, by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Can you talk about how some of those little things that people experience in the workplace can can add up and and in particular you know we're talking about inclusion so how does that uh impact someone's sense of, of belonging
1: i think that's that's a great question because in the end it is the little things that add up to be the big things um and what that looked like for me uh especially when i joined indeed is that you know we hadn't because we hadn't had this group i don't think the perspective of people with disabilities had been taken into as much account um, as it could have been. And that's, that's, that's pretty normal, I think, for a lot of companies. But it, it looks like when you walk into an office and one of the perks is um, like a high-intensity um, interval training class, which someone like me has a hard time doing with my arm. Um, it's hard for me to – there's things I can and can't do as far as, you know, like if there's some sort of crazy workout um, and sometimes that's not my arm; that's just me being lazy. <laughs> but uh, but the other thing is is it puts you into question of like oh if everyone's going to go do this and I'm the only one that can't do this, you know it's it's sort of th- that type of thinking. Is 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 there going to be anyone excluded by the activities that we're doing by the um, by the joking around that's been happening that happens within um, teams or on the floor? You know, I think if we start to just kind of talk about the little things that happen to us, then that really helps people understand like, oh, I didn't know that this affected you that way or that this could affect someone that way. And that could just be somebody saying something as a joke. And I'm trying to think of one and I can't. Um, but it just, it's just, again, more awareness and probably building a little bit of empathy into the way that we work and we um, communicate with each other.
0: So, so you mentioned this the sort of magic word of, of empathy um, can you talk about the role that that empathy plays in building a more mm-hmm. inclusive workplace
1: empathy is huge I mean I think empathy is I think empathy is such um, an important I'm almost going to call it skill because it, it is harder for some people to feel or understand empathy than others and some people can be on the other opposite end where you're so empathetic that it can start to affect you personally and that's that's okay but empathy really is just the understanding of what someone else might be going through. This doesn't just, this doesn't just um, pertain to the disabled community. This can pertain to any underrepresented group or minority group out there. Um, And I'm sure that anyone on this, on this um, call podcast webinar that is, is listening to it would, would agree that any sort of empathy where you maybe try to not put yourself in someone else's shoes, but just be open to trying to understand what life is like for them on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think that can open so much more discussions or that understanding can propel us as people, us as employees and us as a business forward in such a great way where it really helps us understand or maybe just have that one extra little thought that we might not have had before. of How can we maybe just make a tiny little adjustment to ensure that this group of people feels like they belong or that they're included in what we're doing. Um, and really it kind of comes down to, you know, how are we making sure that we're educating people as well? Um, and, and that doesn't just go for uh, us. And Indeed, this is employers probably everywhere and making sure that they're empathetic to, you know, if you're, I'll give you a great example. If you're, uh, if you're a woman on a team of all men and you're pregnant That's going to be something that you're, if, you know, unless they've had um, partners that are pregnant, they might not understand what you're going through. And it might be difficult for you to explain to them. Um, If you're somebody that's the only disabled person on a team of people that don't have the same type of disability as you, it might be difficult or uncomfortable for you to try to explain what that's like for you. And I think the expectation usually comes into, instead of it being an empathetic situation, it's, Okay, well, you you are different, and you have to assimilate into what the rest of us are like. Whereas empathy really aims to bring everyone together and foster that understanding of, of what experience people are having. So I just had a question. I was, I was going to see if I could actually ask you a question, Chris. Because after our, inter- our first interaction um, through the access group, which was about your friend uh, your friend's nephew, I just was curious, um, and if you're comfortable sharing, I would love to hear if there are things um, that you have maybe learned since working with the access groups. Um, if you'd be willing to share that with us, if there's anything that you know you has has been interesting for you,
0: it's actually been central to my entire experience with all of the IRGs, and that you know the whole idea uh, you talked about the difference between you know, focusing on making people feel included, but really the role of helping foster allies um, through awareness. And I've had a chance with our, our nine, uh, I guess now 10 IRGs um, to, to really have a, a very different perspective uh, about, about the world than, uh, than when we started, you know, with the access. The first thing that comes to mind really is some of those statistics that you talked about. I remember sitting down and looking Uh, up for the first time about the workforce in the U.S. and seeing that one in four number um, and just completely being floored by it, given the fact that a lot of what we're talking about in particular, how these things show up at work, is um, lack of representation. And so I look around and one in four people that, that I work with Certainly, do not have a visible disability. So, number one, there's a whole lot going on that we're not aware of and that we don't know about. And number two, that there are barriers to employment that is really a huge focus of our business. That that's a huge opportunity in terms of people that could be brought into the workforce if we could make a make a dent there. Um, the second one, you know, you talked about that definition that that you read of diverse of uh, disability and how much diversity there is in there. The visible versus invisible. The being born versus experiencing trauma and and the wide variety of experiences that people can have with that that that's um that really hit home in, in a new way for me um and uh but really you know the reason that inclusion is important and indeed is because we our mission is to help people get jobs and our responsibility is to is to bring a broader perspective to that work to ensure that we're helping uh, the world's employers be more inclusive in their hiring practices. And so that has really shaped the way that we think about our products. We're in 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 the middle of a huge company-wide effort around accessibility, specifically for screen readers and, and other things like that, which is, it's just a, amazing the things that, if it's not your own personal experience that you don't think about when you're building and designing products and how much opportunity there is to help people. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the last thing, was a, an interesting experience you know, we had also with uh, Access IRG being able to, to play a big role in helping us, again, in, in the business on the outside. We had put together uh, a TV ad that we were going to run that everyone was really proud of that, you know, uh, like a lot of things, um, started with really good intentions. We wanted to sort of raise awareness, and it was an ad that, that included uh, a woman who was deaf, um, and, and it uh, was about her getting a cochlear implant. And the people who were involved in that and, and all of us not uh, being part of that community and knowing about it, um, we found out kind of at the 11th hour that it turns out that within the deaf community, cochlear implants are something that there is some contention around, that people have kind of like prosthetics. I think people have a different experience and perspective. And so we were able actually through the, the folks in, in Access um, to become aware of that, and 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 made a decision not to, to air the, the ad that we had produced because we didn't want to um, heighten something that was a, a point of contention for people, and that was so. It was a lot of eye opening through this through this experience, and and so I think that you know we had an interesting conversation about that, about about this this idea that people have different you know perspectives on things like like devices and the role that they play. Uh, I would love to hear you talk maybe just a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's something interesting to me because I'm a person that uses a medical device every day of my life. And, um, there are a lot of people that, that use them as well. And a medical device can be anything from a prosthetic arm to a a pacemaker, uh, or, um, anything that's not, I guess, natural to the human body that is being, uh, that is used to help us move throughout our lives. And so, um, it might be that someone starts off with a medical device, uh, like a non-essential medical device, or something that someone else might think not essential. I mean, you could argue, uh, there. Ha- people have argued that my prosthetic arm is not essential to me, which this is all I've known since I was six months old. So if it was taken away or if I had to go forward, it would take me a significant amount of time to adjust to not having it because I use it just like my, I, I use it just like a, a, a left hand. Whereas if somebody um, has has not been using a prosthetic and they get one, it's going to take them a long time to adjust to that as well. I think the thing is, is there are certain there are a lot of people that think that it's going to do this or do that or represent the community in the wrong way, and I think that's really what it boils down to: is that um, just because you have a disability, it doesn't mean that you need something to become. Normal, like that. That is totally okay. It's just that there are there are certain people that would like to try something new. I I've always been fascinated with technology. That's one of the main reasons I went into engineering. I've seen my prosthetic arm go from um, a a machine that had to use an externally powered battery that I had to wear around my waist with a belt and a cable going up through my shirt to being. Um, and, and big, moving like this fast and slow to being something where now there are, there are prosthetic arms out there that have complete finger modulation wrists. People are, you know, they're doing it with their, their brains. It's, it's incredible to me to see how technology has advanced. And because I like, I like technology and I'm fascinated by it. I'm happy to stay following it and, and a part of it because to me, it doesn't just help me um, with my, my life, it also is it just, it's something really cool to me. However, there is a different perspective of you're, 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 perfect just the way that you are without needing a medical device. And that is true. That is a hundred percent true. Everyone, no matter how they're born, it doesn't matter if you have a medical device or not, you are perfect the way you are. Um, but it's just that I think there are people that can see it as sort of, um, trying to say downplay the disability to fit in with other people which i which i understand their concern as well so i think it's up to the again it's always up to the individual what they want to do and it should really be their decision not them listening to somebody else trying to tell them what to do as well
0: the example that i gave around this this ad demonstrates mm-hmm. that again you know, one of the one of the real values that indeed is a business gets from our IRGs beyond just hopefully creating a more inclusive and a more aware workplace um, is that it really can help us shape how we think about our customers and our products. And so we we created this um, global uh, IRG product council. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the product council is and the role that it plays?
1: Yes. So this is such an amazing initiative. I'm so excited to talk about this. So. What we sort of identified is that when when we are building products or we're putting out a resource, it would be really great if there was a voice of um, inclusion to take a look at things like that. And so the IRG Global Product Council was developed to make sure that there are um, again that the that there's a seat at the table for people of the various. Underrepresented groups, including disability, to make sure that we're not going to be excluding anyone um, in the products that we're making, in the resources that we're putting out. Essentially, it's 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 also what you know, like kind of checking for if there's something that we've missed, if there's something that the product or the development team has missed. Um, It's a great friendly space to talk about um, what maybe we can do to increase inclusion in these products for people uh, with a disability or people that might. not understand things the same way that we understand and I think it's been a really important um, initiative to make sure that when we're designing products when we're putting out new products that there's no um, areas, of, areas that we've missed that we could, we could have easily spotted if there was somebody either with a disability or, or any other um, part of those groups that somebody flags so that we're, we're going forward with as many voices um, to be included. And I think that's that's a really, it's such a great, it's such a great initiative. So IRG members make up the product council and they can go in there and talk about suggestions. They can bring their ideas. Um, they can put their hand up to test things. And so I think that's been a really, really great initiative um, in the last year.
0: Yeah, no, it, it has been really transformational. And obviously, again, helping us with our, with our mission so the other role that the IRGs have played, and 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 Access has been uh, big in this as well, is just helping us be better as a business. Can you talk a little about some of the impact that the Access IRG has had on on how we operate as a business?
1: There's been some huge things that we've done internally that I think, you know, probably stemmed from the work of the Access Group. And one of those things was uh, when we used to do our or when we do our quarterly all hands, we've started incorporating live captioning into those so that we're not um, excluding our hearing impaired or um, English as a second language speakers from those, those meetings and they're live. And that's something that we never did before. And now we do it every time. I think we're doing it now. (laughs) Like I'm going to pretend like I'm looking down at it. (laughs) Um, But that's such an amazing, amazing change that we were able to help um, make happen. The other thing is the IRG Product Council itself. That was an initiative that came out of, I think, the Leadership Summit that we attended in Austin last year, where it was about how can we get a voice um, to product to make sure that we're not leaving people behind. There's been other things um, in our offices that came up in terms of if doors are too heavy and people can't, you know, if there's any sort of, if somebody has an issue with strength and they can't open the door, or if... There's, there's a multitude of things that we've changed, I suppose, in our own working environments to make sure that people are able to work the best that they possibly can. And then you said, again, like in terms of screen readers on our own website, if we have um, people with a sight disability. Are they going to be able to use our website? That's a really important one because we don't want to we want to help people get jobs. We want to really help all people get jobs. And that includes people that might not see and touch and think the way that, that everyone, everyone does. And so it's really been, I think, a really positive thing that Access has been able to bring to the table. And the other thing I think is really amazing is that we, we, we've, we are an inclusion resource group, but I think there's a lot of times where we are a resource to the business. If someone doesn't know what to do or doesn't know where to turn to talk about something or ask a question, Someone in the Access Indeed group is always there to talk. And if they don't know the answer, then they'll say, I don't know the answer, but I can try to find out who will. And so that can come down to things like, I need an accommodation. Who do I talk to? Or um, even during this pandemic, you know, I've been struggling working from my bedroom for the past six months, or I'm struggling with the isolation of being alone in my house for all this time. There's a community for people to talk about things like that. And to maybe get help if they are helping a loved one or a friend or a family with a disability as well. And so I, I don't know, I have a lot of pride for the amount of work, time and effort that the people that have started on the access journey or joined and have chipped in. you can literally see the passion of these people every day in our company. And I just think, I think when you give people a, um, a place to put their passions, it's just going to benefit everyone in the long run.
0: So um, I'm just looking at the clock. We could keep talking for hours because there's so much great stuff to cover, but uh, I have a few questions I wanted to get through let's just see if we can, we can get through these. Um, so one thing that's really important and um, if you can maybe do it in soundbite form, uh, how can other organizations become more aware and better at ensuring that they're accessible to everyone?
1: I think it's important to first take a look internally and see if there's improvements they can make in their own business. And just think about those on a larger scale. If there's things in their own business that they could make more accessible, it's going to help them retain talent, attract more talent. There's a huge talent pool out there of untapped talent within the disability community. And I think once you start small and then you think big, that can give you a scope of what uh, some of these things could be that can help make things more accessible. The more accessible that you make your company, your products to people, the more people eventually or essentially that you will get coming to you or using your products because they can.
0: So um, one thing, you know, we, we started this whole series talking about our, our response to COVID. Um, I know that in, in Australia, um, things are a little more locked down right now than other places. Could you talk about um, the, the impact of being an expat living in Australia and, and how this crisis has uh, impacted you?
1: That's a that's a yes, I, that's a big that's a big one. But um, just to I don't know if every, I, I don't think people are really largely aware of this. But at the moment in Australia, uh, permanent residents and citizens are not allowed to leave the country. So um, my family's back in Michigan. I have no idea when I can see them again. My parents were supposed to get here on Thursday. And it's really sad that I, I'm not going to be able to see my family this year. Um, I'm not alone in this. Every expat in this country or anybody here that has family in other countries, can't do the same thing. So we've all been kind of dealing with that. Um, And that's a tough one, I think, is just that question of of when there's no light at the end of the tunnel for us in terms of when we can actually move. And actually, uh, Australia has states just like the US, and a lot of the state borders have been closed to each other. So that even comes down to a national level where there's families in uh, the state I'm in, New South Wales, that can't see their other family members in Queensland, which is just the state north of us. Melbourne just went through a really rough like seven or eight week lockdown where they couldn't leave their houses. And that I know took a big toll on people's mental health when they literally can't leave the house or they can for one hour. And so I think that's the thing is um, trying to just stay positive and be grateful for the fact that uh, be grateful for what I do have, which is a healthy family, a great job, wonderful friends. um, And and knowing that that community is going to get me through this, I think that's that's what has been interesting. It, it's wild to see other countries where it's like life has almost resumed back to normal. And it has kind of here on a day-to-day basis. We can go out, we can go to the pubs, we can go to the parks, we can go to restaurants, but we still can't leave the country, which is is interesting. But yeah, that's kind of what it's been like. and 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 we're just waiting for the word for the borders to open. And then you can bet a bunch of us are going to fly back and see our families when we can.
0: So, so with, with that and, and to, to wrap up, um, you know, this has been an extraordinary uh, last seven months all over the world, but there also have been things that have come from this that, uh, you know, have, have given people maybe a new way to look at things. And, and so, you know, I, I always like to ask, is there anything in this experience that has given you some optimism for the future?
1: Yes, because it was something so unexpected and, and it really comes back to the little things becoming the big things. And it also boils down to representation matters. Representation matters for all underrepresented groups, whether you're a person of color or you are a parent caregiver or you have a disability. And so this is something so little. but I was wa- I mean, I was watching a lot of streamed shows. I was watching a lot of Netflix. Um, You know, especially during the part of the pandemic where we couldn't leave our houses. And there was a show that I was watching where there was a woman on the show and she wasn't like a main character. She was just one of the members of the cast. She was, she had the exact same disability as me. She literally had a below elbow. She was missing her left arm below the elbow. And it was the first time that I saw that on the screen where it wasn't like, a zombie movie or, um, some sort of movie where, oh, that person's obviously missing their arm because it's, it's because of this thing, right? She was just somebody working in an office, missing their arm, going about their business. And I've never seen that. I've literally never seen that. And to me, it was just one of those moments where I was like, that is amazing. That is amazing and I've started to notice a little bit more there's there's been a little bit more representation of the disabled community whether and and that's invisible and visible disabilities in terms of it's starting to happen a little bit more on the screen and what that's going to do is start to normalize it for people. You don't have to have a reason for having a disability. Some of us are just born this way like, you know, Lady Gaga says and and it's and it's and it's just great. I was like I was thinking like how many Actors out there are now going to start getting a chance at this work that they never thought they would get because of their disability, which translates over to the business side of things. How many people with disabilities are going to be able to start to get jobs because there's just people in, you know, shows or musicals or, or the newspaper or something showing uh, the rest of the world that like they can literally just go about their business and operate just as well. Um, to me, it was huge. I, it was like one of those moments where I was like, I think I probably blew it way out of proportion, but it is it is the little things that are going to give way to the big things. And there's going to be this generation. I just love this. There's going to be this generation that grows up always seeing representation of these minority groups that they never saw before. And it's going to become more normalized as time goes on. And it just gives me so much hope. It's amazing. It makes me so happy. <laughs>
0: Well, Erin, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for talking today. This was a really amazing conversation. And I know I got a lot out of it. I'm sure everyone who's listening or watching did as well. And uh, thank you for everything that you do for Indeed and for everyone around the world who uh, your work helps people get jobs.
1: Thank you so much. Right back at you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have this opportunity to talk about something I'm so passionate about. It's it's kind of funny because I'm a recruitment evangelist for Indeed, and so I talk about our company and our products, but I think on the side, I'm a evangelist for the disabled community, or at least I'd, I'd love to be, you know, and so for me, it's, it's just a, an absolute honor to be able to talk about these things with you today.
0: Thanks, Erin.